Hello again, everybody. This is... Wait, are these guys friends? I'm Mike. This is Randy. Hey, everybody. And uh, we're going to dive right in here. Normally, we start our week and we talk about what have we consumed this week? What have we enjoyed this week? What have we watched or done this week? And we were both talking offline. I don't know about you. I've had a very busy real life week where I haven't been able to enjoy a lot of, you know, pop culture media. What about yourself, Randy? Yeah, same thing. So I did do one thing, which was I went to the Royal Rumble, the WWE Royal Rumble. But if anyone is following wrestling news, actual wrestling and the shows is not exactly the forefront of wrestling news right now. And I don't want to get into all of that. And I don't want to talk about a fun, goofy show in the backdrop of that. Be like, hey, set all that aside. Like, actually, I will say one thing. Did you see the post-show press conferences the wrestlers do after the Royal Rumble? I didn't. I read something about that they kind of avoided basically everything at hand. <laughs> there it is. What I what I felt like I was about to say is I'm going to pull the Triple H in this. Is They're going to go, hey, can we talk about these terrible things? And I'm going to go... Let's just focus on the positives. Let's just let's just focus on the positives. And and while I feel like I feel like that might be okay for me, he probably should have answered a question. Eh, as as the, as the figurehead of it, right? Like that's that should be his thing, but neither here nor there. What are you gonna do? So one of the things that we had been talking about, one of the things we've kind of found ourselves getting into recently is a lot of like career discussions. It's been a topic that. I don't think we expected us to start focusing on so much, but as a pop culture show, and you know, when you start talking about actors, movies, and their histories, I think it almost makes sense. This is a place we've wound up. It really breaks my heart that our lost episode that we'll probably reference a lot moving forward because it was a really fun episode and led to several topics we're still discussing. We did a a career breakdown of Vince Vaughn, and during that, we were talking a lot about the frat pack era of comedy. And that led to me going, you know what I'd really like to do sometime is an IMDb breakdown of Will Ferrell. And that led to us talking about an idea that I've had of, can you look at a career and say, ah, that's when I stopped caring about that person. And I said, Will Ferrell would be a really good one for that. And you gave me a counter argument of someone else to look at, which is. I, yeah, I wanted to see with Joe Pesci because I thought it was kind of fascinating. The uh, there, there, There's some interesting things on on top of when do you stop caring about him? And there's a couple of things within it. It's an incredible run to revisit. So it's, it was worth looking at. And then we're going to do a third one because I thought Jeff Goldblum. Because I almost thought Nicolas Cage or somebody like that, but there's that's too much for this mm -hmm. right now. We could do that. It'd be a lot. Have you ever watched Community? There's an entire episode where they try to dissect Nicolas Cage's Community, and Abbott literally goes insane. It's an entire <laughs> subplot where a character goes insane trying to dissect the career of Nicolas Cage, and we don't need that right now. Sure. But let's start with our original idea of Will Ferrell. Okay. The thought here is, in my mind, we're looking at his box office, not SNL, not TV appearances. Right. We're looking at when did he start becoming a box office draw? Because you can technically say, yes, he was in movies. He was in Zoolander, but he wasn't a draw yet. He was in Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back. He was in a bunch of SNL movies and the Austin Powers movies. None of those count to me as Will Ferrell movies. The real start of this is his breakout role in Old School. Would you agree? I would say so, yeah. The, that was before we saw him as the, if, if not the leading man, 
the the person that was the draw. I think that's the way, best way to say it. Yes, yes. Where he, it was from that point forward, where a Will Ferrell attached name. It Will Ferrell's name was going to sell a movie. Before that, it wasn't Absolutely. going to happen. So we will start with the baseline of 2003's old school. We it's I want to talk to you about old school, even though it feels like we already did, because again, in the lost episode, we talked about old school for like 15 minutes. We did. Is there anything you could summarize quickly about old school that you want to get out right now? I think it, it just more speaks to our discussion of the frat pack that Will Ferrell did this. He he found his lane specifically. If you think of it as almost like a team, a, a, a trying to set a lineup. He fulfilled that role of the completely over the top, crazy. We're doing something. Obviously, we're going streaking. You know, it's just that that was the Will Ferrell lane, and so he went into that and leaned into that. A lot of the man child stuff that we'd see for years and years and years to come, but more just the completely over the top, while everyone else is trying to maintain some level of consistent normalcy. Will just went off to left field, and that was that was where we first really started to see it. I would absolutely agree with that. And by the way, for anyone that is looking for a definition of the frat pack, I went to Wikipedia, which is always right, never wrong. Uh, you can't edit to say anything else. But the term was first used by USA Today in a June 2004 story picked up by other outlets. Basically, it was all the comedians of the era who hung out and all kind of worked together in each other's movies. Uh, the core members were originally Jack Black, Will Ferrell, Ben Stiller, Vince Vaughn, and Luke and Owen Wilson. It would grow from there. You think of people like Steve Carell, Paul Rudd as being part of that. That would come with time. But when I name those names and I say it's, ah, you know, like your Judd Apatow, your Adam McKay movies, I feel like most people know exactly the era of film that we're talking about. Sure. Right after Old School, Will Ferrell goes to Elf. His very next movie is Elf. Yeah. And that's massive that propels him to the stratosphere he took all the goodwill from old school we're like i think we like this guy he made elf and everyone just went we fucking love this guy it i think the the heart started to show through here where it wasn't just the goofy completely over the top like he's he's likable because he's amusing he's likable because there's a lot of heart here like it, it is it was still there was still tons of that in elf but the likability just shown through the charm really came through in Elf. And that's it, it was a greater appeal than just somebody who was looking for either a, a gross out or an R-rated comedy. He suddenly became family appeal all, all over the place. Just giant box office draw after that. He then, if we're moving down the line, I'm going to skip TV shorts, cameo appearances and things like sure. I said for television. Mm -hmm. Next movie he is is an uncredited appearance in Starsky and Hutch. He has a cameo. <laughs> Prison in prison, right? Yeah, wasn't, wasn't exactly, that it? exactly. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you can't call that Will Ferrell, but that being said, I do think it built his goodwill with sure. audiences because that movie was a hit, that movie was well liked. That movie, you they got eyeballs on it, they saw him and thought, Oh, he's still funny. So we're I, into 2004. I think, too, it was a I remember seeing it, I think I saw Starsky and Hutch in the theater, and it was one of those kind of acknowledgement, uh, not gasps, but audible laughs of just like oh that guy this is going to be funny when you would see we yes. saw will ferrell in that scene so to, to already have that kind of credence to something to have that kind of hey i i'm just by putting this person in this scene something's going to be funny to to lend that mm -hmm. going forward was was a big point mm -hmm. and it, it's fascinating to me too because obviously 
he was well known from Saturday Night Live, but there sure. has to be a contingent of people. And I wish I knew someone because you know they're out there who did not know him until he started making movies. You have to know those people exist. Sure. And it's fascinating because I liked him on SNL, but he was never. You think of Will Ferrell. Will Ferrell has three or four best of SNL DVDs, and they're all pretty mm -hmm. warranted. And yet, at the time, I would not, I think, have pegged him as, well, this guy's going to be a star. He was well-liked. He, he did an amazing George Bush. He did a lot of goofy stuff. But you're not going to be like, this guy's going to be a fucking star. After Starsky and Hutch, he makes my personal favorite Will Ferrell movie, mainly, I think, because I was working in local news at the time this came <laughs> out, Anchorman, The Legend of Ron Burgundy. Can I say, yeah. working in local news when this came out, I can't tell how big the movie was versus how big it was for my industry. It was a big hit. And what right? It was a genuine big hit. Sure. Uh, yeah, oh yeah, it that, that made it, it made No, no, it, it's it was on everyone's it, I think that helped. It, it helped that this was the the DVD the tail end of the VHS realm too. So this not Which only is... everyone went and saw this at the theater, it got countless rewatches through through those additional sales. I know everybody, this is one of those where you look at someone, if somebody only has 10, 15, 20 DVDs on their, on their shelf, it was a good chance Anchorman was there. If you were talking about the 2000s. Yeah. And it definitely, it definitely hit that. And that's another one of those things where for, I can't place because of where I come from, because of my background working mm -hmm. in television, I can't tell if this movie became the overquoted to the point of Austin Powers overquoted mm -hmm. just because of where I work or if regular people were doing that too. No, I think and it's, I mean, it's, it's pulling back the curtain or whatever, working in television myself. It's just, it's, it's the same. I, I can't, I don't know how much I can <laughs> divest myself from that, but right. the, uh, I, I, it seems like, you know, the, the Sex Panther quote, like that gets quoted all the time throughout a million different things. I don't know if it's always the Will Ferrell ones. I, I can remember people saying, uh, was it rich leather bound books of the smell of mahogany or whatever? <laughs> like it just, there, there's a lot of different ones that I think I've heard in a multitude of different places that don't just pertain to the television aspect of it. It's fascinating to me too. And we, we could cut this out if you tell me not to include this. That's a me and you moment right here. I was working in local news. I was a year into my career and I didn't know fucking anything from anything. You are a man of many skills and a jack of all trades. What were you doing in TV at this time? You don't have to tell me where, but like, what was your position? Yeah, I was within the studio. So I would have been a, a camera person and audio setup, that kind of thing. So I, I definitely, I definitely saw plenty of what was happening right there and within the studio. Uh, absolutely. There, there was definitely, <laughs> a, a anchor or tomb that, that we dubbed Ron Burgundy just because of the way we worked with them. So without d divulging too much information, but it, it definitely felt I'd worked, and I'm sure you had too, had worked with people that if you put something on the teleprompter, they were going to read it yes. regardless of what it said. We 100% had those people. I was in the last gasp of like what you think of as almost the old model of TV news because it doesn't exist. And that could be its own fucking podcast at this point. But I was there for a year and a half in my first TV job before they went with digital video instead of actual videotape and before they made the anchors use a foot pedal to do their own teleprompter. I actually ran the teleprompter briefly for uh, my in my first TV job and there was an anchor who would throw pencils off screen at people he didn't like where the speed of the teleprompter was going. 
to the point where management had to get involved and said, you can't chuck pencils at people while they're doing their jobs. So, How else will they know? <laughs> right, right. Not a snap or a hey tap or anything. No, they would chuck a fucking just pencil right at their face. Be like, that means speed up, by the way. Wow. So, good times. Good times. He has hits after this, right? He has hits and he has big hits. Yep. But the first misstep comes after this. Okay. It's he makes a Woody Allen movie. He yeah. makes Melinda and Melinda which I didn't see because I've never been a Woody Allen person. I just don't care. He was in the comedy aspect of the story. I remember this coming out at the time. It was, it is about this woman named Melinda and one of her stories is a comedy and one of her stories is a tragedy. Mm, He's obviously in the comedy part. I can't tell you what it is otherwise. I'm a little clueless on this one. I likewise did not see it. Yeah, there you go. I, you know, great pop culture podcast we're doing here. Really impressive. (laughs) It was. (laughs) then moving on to his next are we going to is this a cameo i don't know what this movie is luke and owen wilson made a movie called the wendell baker story in 2005 that he has a credit on Hmm. and he has this is a pretty good looking cast of harry dean stant chris christopherson but I don't know this movie. I've never heard of this movie. Yeah, likewise. I mean, I would guess it would have some interest if that many people are involved with it. But I'm... We're going to look it up right now. So this website that we did our Vince Vaughn thing on and this other stuff, it's the-numbers.com. I'm using this for all of our movie reference numbers. Here is why we've never heard of the Wendell Baker story. It only opened in 17 total theaters. It only played for about two and a half weeks, and it only made $195,000 worldwide. <laughs> oh, that's, I'm sorry, that's adjusted for inflation. It only made $48,000 worldwide. <laughs> also, our uh, economy is terrible. My so. my very quick research on the side here, it does look that five members of the Wilson family are involved in that movie, though. So this is like a, oh, a Wilson family pet project movie. Apparently, yeah. And they probably, you know, released it at, you know, those 10 theaters in Texas or something like that. But That would make sense. That would make sense. Good God. Yeah, look at that. Also, it has Eddie Griffin. <laughs> it was, yeah, we're moving on because I can't yes. find anything good thing about this. We're moving on. Yep. So we're going to ignore that one. I do remember kicking and screaming. Do you remember kicking and screaming? I do. It It is... Uh, amongst those that I discuss movies with is uh, beyond the beyond you. Uh, <sighs> you what? Kind of, and I know, I know the horror. Uh, <laughs> really enjoyed, like, and I I thought it was fine, just kind of a goofy comedy. But uh, I didn't get the giant appeal of it. But there, I have a, a decent amount of folks who I know who adore this movie. Like, put it way up there. Interesting. Okay, I I remember thinking it was fine. But, you know, but I also remember thinking it was fine, but it did well, as I recall. It was continued in that thing. But then we have a genuine box office bomb considered a terrible movie, a misfire, a misstep. Why would you people do this? Bewitched, the Bewitched movie with Nicole Kidman and Will Ferrell. And I'll be honest, when I heard this was coming out, I remember being sort of excited about the prospect of it because I thought that he could deliver in that Darren Stevens role, like, say, where it would be, you know, yeah. a little bit more laid back or a little more 
he he pulls it back, pull back the reins a little bit, and then it just this was not it was well, not. Well, you're right. Race. He would have been a great Darren Stevens. The problem is he wasn't Darren Stevens. It was a meta right. movie where they made. For those who don't know, the movie Bewitched was them about making the sitcom Bewitched, but also it turns out the woman playing Samantha is actually a witch. And right. I get they're trying to be clever. I really do. And it was a Nora Ephron movie. So it was written by her, directed by her, which is such a weird creative choice for her. But it just, it misfired. You're right. He would have been a fantastic Darren. He would have been maybe more like Darren number two as opposed to Darren number one. By the way, Darren number one, yep. the preferred Darren. I'm a Dick York man as opposed to a Dick Sergeant man. Do you have any thoughts? I watched the shit out of this show growing no, up. No, it's only, I only know about that because of uh, because of Wayne's World. But like they say, they have that one quote where I mean there were two Darren Stevens, right? Dick York and Dick Sargent. Wait a minute, Sergeant York. Sergeant York, which is its own movie. You ne did so you're not you did not watch Bewitched growing up, or you did not watch reruns here of Bewitched? and there. Like it was, I think it was on Naked Night way back in the day, right? So I, from time to yeah. time, but not enough that I was. In, super involved uh, in the canon of it. My mom loved Bewitched, and so we watched the reruns all the time, and I know the lore behind the scenes. I know the characters and the lore on screen. I know all her cousins and family members, and whenever a certain character would show up, you knew which type of episode it was going to be. Nice. So, like, oh, it's the uncle. Oh, it's the cousin. It's like, oops, settle in. <laughs> oh, when her dad shows up, because her dad's a warlock. Oh, this is he's more Boy. evil than the mom who's a witch. You know, it's let's <laughs> really get into it. Here's my Bewitched podcast. <laughs> so that's going to be my new side project. Nice. Okay. That said, Bewitched was a genuine bomb. Mm -hmm. It it hurt his goodwill. It had bad box office. It is a proper box office dud. It was an $85 million budget. It's one of those ones where it made money, but with the amount of star power, marketing, and money put into it, that it's still a dud. Where you make a small profit, but you were supposed to break the fucking bank. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. And it's uh, and hampered his goodwill as much as financially, right? But. And then I feel like he continued making missteps. He did make an uncredited again cameo in Wedding Crashers. Sure. And people love him in that bit, right? But he only showed up in advertising after people had already seen After word of mouth had always said, oh, the Will Ferrell has a funny scene. He has a very funny scene. Mm -hmm. And Wedding Crashers was very well done. Wedding Crashers is a huge movie. It made Vince Vaughn a box office draw for a little bit. But that's... I don't think you can credit that to Will Ferrell aside from maybe getting back some of his goodwill. Yeah, I think they pull the same, I don't want to call it a trick, but thing that they did in Starsky and Hutch, where by not knowing, yeah. but then you see him in it, and you're like, this could be amusing, and then the more ridiculous it gets, you're like, okay. Yep. Yes. Then there's a movie that I've never heard of in my entire fucking life called Winter Passing from 2005. It is a dramedy with, frankly, quite a good cast. Zoe Deschanel. Oh! It's a Zoe Deschanel, Will Ferrell re-teaming uh, re after Elf. How did I not know this existed? And starring Ed Harris. I may have seen this movie. I The only thing, and this is terrible, the only thing I remember about it is I think she, if, if this is the movie I'm thinking of, Zoe Deschanel is a down-on-her-luck, like starving artist almost type person trying to afford her apartment. And uh, this is a real downer, but she had a cat, but she had to basically like put the cat 
out in a way because she couldn't Jesus. afford to keep. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty dark. If, if that's the movie Here's I'm the thinking of, but the, I'm going to say it probably is. I don't yeah. see that part listed, but she plays a uh, depressed bartender and actress engaging in casual sex, cocaine use, and self harm, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, and this is probably the movie. Oh, there it is. Reese learns the kitten she rescued from the streets is dying of feline leukemia, so she drowns it and buys a bus ticket to Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Yeah. To go get stuff. Wow, what the fuck is this movie? Yeah, it's. Uh, I think I remember this is back, if it's not, I don't think Blockbuster was still a thing, but maybe just on-demand movie time where I I remember it seeing it on-demand with uh, my, it's my wife now, a girlfriend at the time, and like just... <laughs> We were like, oh, Zoe did Chanel. Let's check this out. Let's see what this movie is. And after we're done, we're just like, oh, I don't like and this. Will Ferrell. <laughs> Will Ferrell. They were both an elf. This will be delightful. Nope. Interesting. I want to watch the trailer after we're done here and maybe watch this movie and talk about it because Roger Ebert loved this. He gave it three and a half out of four stars. Hmm. He thought it was fantastic. He loves story. So. <laughs> Roger Ebert often had trash opinions. Just because you're famous doesn't mean you're good. Yes, I know you won a Pulitzer. Doesn't justify every opinion being accurate. You don't get a pass on winter passing. There you go. Huh, interesting. We might talk about that. Also, as a someone who grew up in Michigan, I find it offensive, according to its Wikipedia, that though the film is set in Michigan, it was filmed in New Jersey. Ugh. Fuck you. <laughs> All right. Moving on. Then he was Franz, the Nazi, who wrote the bad play that they want to produce in the musical adaptation of the producers. Also, famously, I think a bomb, if I recall, because everyone thought it was going to be the biggest thing ever because the musical was the biggest thing ever. But then the adaptation of the musical lost the charm because it just didn't translate from the stage. And it's as a giant Mel Brooks fan, I really wanted this to be good and fun and cool. And I remember watching it and just being like, it, it just falls flat. It's just that I, I don't know what it is. It doesn't have it. This is one of those musical movie adaptations where you needed the crowd, where you needed yeah. the feel of how it would actually be on stage. This one doesn't translate. And you know why? Because we already had a movie of the producers that they turned into the musical. So to turn it back into a movie, you're losing the aspect that made it worthwhile, which was putting it on a stage in front of a crowd. Mm -hmm. I don't want to just see the songs. I want to experience the energy. And if I'm not getting that energy, what am I doing? I liken this a lot to the Book of Mormon. Like if they ever tried to make a movie out of that, a movie adaptation, I'm not sure it would have quite the appeal just because having seen that a couple times in a theater <laughs> as a play, the audience reaction is just as much fun as the actual play. Like, so I, th I think the producers gives that kind of same vibe where it's really just as enjoyable to be part of the audience as opposed to be watching it. I've thought that too. It made me really think of shows I've loved and shows that I've been to when Hamilton put out the filmed, like professionally filmed version of the stage play. Mm -hmm. I thought, I want that more. I yeah. want that. I want, I don't need my adaptation. I want to see the classic cast preserved for all time, recorded and put out. They did talk about how when that came out, a lot of the issues of why a lot of people, they, apparently they often will record versions like that, but releasing them or the quality of them is a different story. So like it's preserved, but getting it out there. Apparently, I think Matt and Trey said that there is a version of that filmed, like they filmed the original cast. Mm in that style of thing, but there's rights issues. There's separate contracts for releasing a film and things like that that make it probably not viable. Gotcha. 
Then we go to Curious George, where he voiced the man with the yellow hat in a kid's movie. Not the target audience, but I feel like I remember that doing okay. It was. It had been, and just having a, a younger son and then one who watched a lot of the Curious George that was on PBS uh, throughout the time i I think it's a pretty pretty big draw there because it already had the lead-in of the show that was already existing i mean i knew curious george from when i was a kid and just from the books the books were big then the cartoon was big it was one of those things where it's bound to get a movie the curious george movie feels like one of those we need a name let's get the biggest star we can think of right now which is such a weird choice for it yeah talladega nights to me and this is no, there's one more. Talladega Nights is almost the end of the classic era. There's He has a couple more. I agree. But Talladega Nights, I love Talladega Nights. I think yeah. Talladega Nights is absolutely fantastic. I quote it. I watch it. I'll, I'll watch it any second. What do you think of Stranger Than Fiction? I love. I loved it. I don't know. I don't know what everyone else thinks about it, but I, I was just so entertained by something that was just a unique concept that played off of the incredulity, whatever the word is, <laughs> being incredulous at something that someone else's writing is happening to you is just a really, really mm-hmm. cool. It felt like a unique idea at the time. I don't know if we've, yeah, I guess that's an Argyle coming out right now. That's kind of the same idea, but, <laughs> but it, oh, well, it's, I was going to say, I've seen the John Candy movie delirious. You're telling me that wasn't oh, that's fair. That's true. I, I, I thought this was better executed with a better cast, <laughs> but it's just, but... I, I agreed. Agreed. No one's going to sit here and cite delirious. I, I, I just I really enjoyed it and, and it's and it does play with the whole kind of are you able to control your destiny, that kind of thing, or is someone else controlling your destiny? There was there were there were fun themes that were sprinkled throughout and I thought really it was a nice kind of understated performance by by Will Farrell on this I I thought, which was really nice to see. One of the few that we've seen in a while. I agree. And I also think that it set the bar too high for him for when he would try to break out of that in the future, if ever, because I felt like, well, you did it and you nailed it. Oh, you're going to be chasing that. Then we have Blades of Glory. I never liked Blades of Glory, but I also don't like John Heater. And I'm going to say I never liked Napoleon Dynamite. Come at me. Tell me why I'm wrong. Yeah, you're terribly wrong. That's an amazing movie. movie. (laughs) Everyone says that. I can't fucking stand it. It's so Why do you hate that movie? I I, I... I don't know. (laughs) There's a part of me that wonders. Last week, we talked about my thoughts on anti-comedy versus cringe comedy and you would think that almost comes up more as a cringe comedy but there i don't know maybe i just think i can't explain it i've never liked that movie it just it rubs me the wrong way if you don't like buy into the character i i guess i get it you know because he it's a i don't want to say divisive but you either kind of think that's funny or you don't like there isn't really a you warm up to it or anything like that The, the first time you get he says gosh or any of that other stuff happens or he does he tries to fake kick somebody as they were after they've run away Uh, if you don't think that's funny at the beginning you're not going to think it's funny that 12 other times they do something else but it's just i i quote that movie a lot i I really enjoy it but it's a impasse i guess agree to disagree definitely because and part of it to me too is when it came out i think we always talk about how we've talked about with your albums how a lot of times you remember something maybe not based on always the property itself, but where you were in life when it came out. And I had three roommates at the time living in a townhouse where I think two of them just wouldn't shut the fuck up about (laughs) quoting this movie. And if I didn't like the movie, I grew to hate the movie because just, just shut the fuck. If I hear you say, gosh, one more time, shut the fuck up. You know, it's funny that we, 
Yeah, and I we talked about this in the Lost episode. Ooh, the infamous Lost episode is that my my take on Wedding Crashers <laughs> is not as exciting as everybody else's, and not as enjoyable on that movie as everyone else. And I think it's a similar thing, which is interesting that Will Ferrell kind of ties into this whole thread. But uh, I, I'm not the biggest Wedding Crashers fan. I think I agree. I think it's funny. I could, if I watch it, I'm sure like, oh yeah, there's funny parts to it. But I have the similar thing. I think it's because a lot of my friends at the time. That's all they would talk about, and it's all they would quote, and it's just like, enough. It's funny, but enough. <laughs> uh, similar time frame, 2007-2008-ish. Uh, also, the reason why I've never played a Halo game, despite <laughs> liking video games, and why I hate Halo, because I just... <laughs> I, I had this one dirtbag roommate. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to sidetrack us to tell a life story, and you can react to this, or we can cut this out. <laughs> mm. So we had... <laughs> I lived in a townhouse with three people. Two, one of those people moved out. And somehow, one of my other friends brought in two other people who I barely knew. So suddenly, I was living in a townhouse with five people. And it was just very odd. And two of them I barely knew. And one of them, the one who played Halo the most, was a fucking nitwit. And I was like, how did I agree to live with this person? And he stopped <laughs> paying rent to the point oh, where he was like, my mom said she'd give me the rent money. And I was like, okay, we're going to go to your mom's house right now and get the rent money. Oof. And okay. so we drove to the house. I was like, oh, she's not home. I'm like, okay. And I got back. And later I told one of my roommates, I was like, yeah, one of the other roommates who I liked. I was like, yeah, I did get there. We went over here. He's like, where'd you go? And they're like, that's not where his mom lives. I have no idea where he drove to. It was like, he's mm -hmm. lying. I was like, okay. <laughs> So he just vanished one day because he wasn't paying rent, but we had all of his stuff and we went to him one more time and we went, give us the rent money. You can come home or else we're going to pawn all your shit. He went, you can't do that. We went, we're going to do yeah. that. And so we pawned everything, including his Xbox to get our money. Wow. And he got so <laughs> upset. And then we, because remember I said he was a fucking moron. We, mm pressured him into signing a piece of paper we wrote that said he can't do anything about it and like wow how is that legal it's not but he's also an idiot whatever it's a binding <laughs> document now he signed it so we we got this guy to sign a piece of paper saying it was okay for us to sell his shit because he owed us money and we just called it good after that and never talked about it again so there you go that's um that's an insight from my life. How are Statue you? Statue limitations I... is passed, right? So we're good to what? talk about it, son. What What were you doing in 2007? Because that's what I was doing in 2007. Uh, I don't remember. Watching uh, <laughs> Watching Stranger Than Fiction. That was about it. Oh, uh, liar, because that was 2006. You were watching Blades of Glory. And... Oh, I was, actually, so. And yeah, I didn't they... mind it. I, I, it's, I wasn't... I don't think it's like up there in the upper echelon of his movies, but I, I enjoyed it. Yeah. Um, aside, because I know we're not talking about TV or internet stuff, 2007 is also when Funny or Die started, and those first three or four years of Funny or Die are fucking fantastic. Yeah, the sure. stuff that they were putting out was top notch. And that, I think, kept building the goodwill up into 2008, where I f I'm not sure how the overall take is on one of these, and I know the other one is universally beloved. The first one, the one I'm iffy on, is semi-pro about the basketball team that the team, the Tropics, that got folded into the NBA. Sure. What is your thoughts on semi-pro? How well do you remember semi-pro? Do you like semi-pro? I remember it fairly well. I liked it 
70 percent of it <laughs> okay <laughs> there were some there were some kind of weird th- i mean woody harrelson's great in it andre 3000 from outcast is good in it and and will ferrell is good too it just the, the the concept is is fun just trying to hang on to this semi-pro team in the years of the abl when that was you know it, what's weird about it is that there's probably not not to they went super far to the extent on how they were doing promotions but the the storyline probably wasn't that far off from what how those ABL teams that were trying to survive in the seventies, which is kind of fun. There's an air of truth to it, yeah. but I, I I liked it. There there were some kind of different weird scenes where Will Ferrell's either girlfriend is super obsessed with Woody Harrelson's character, and so they there's this I I don't know. It's just it seemed like throwaway filler to kind of pad the movie out, but a lot of the genuine just basketball scenes are really really fun it's a there's a okay. lot of cool stuff and good back and forth some fun lines and and uh i enjoyed it but i thought it, there was they, they could have cut a lot of fat from it but i don't know how long it was so maybe they needed to keep that in there to keep a running time understood uh in that case we are going to move to what i and now this is why this is where to me we become a speed run after this for him yep because in my mind Step Brothers in 2008 is the last time will ferrell had the kind of hit where you think, my God, I need another Will Ferrell movie. It was sure. nothing but downhill after this. He had a couple where you're like, yeah, okay. But by the time you get to today, it's just like, why are you, we don't care. Yeah. Anything I, you want to say about Step Brothers that hasn't already been said? Because everybody loves uh, Step Brothers, I think. And I am included in that. It's it's incredible. It just, it just, it, Joke a minute, quote a minute. It just it just keeps coming. Yes. So I'm going to speed through a few titles, okay? okay? You, What I want to hear from you now is you tell me if you've seen it and liked it. Let's not get into, unless you really want to dive into something. Yeah. You just, okay. I'm just going to move on, okay? Got it. Okay. La- 2009, Land of the Lost. Never saw it. No. Okay. Moving on to, he has, and that's in 2009. He's doing cameos. He's doing TV. He's traveling a stage show. This one maybe is a pass. The other guy's 2010. Yeah, not bad. Fine. Middle middle of the road. Entertaining. I, I remember laughing at it. Yep. Not, not I, very memorable, but I remember laughing at it. That's exactly it. I think it's a fine movie, but not very memorable. I don't think it's ever being discussed like the pantheon of his other films, right? Mm-hmm. Sure. So I still consider 2008 Step Brothers to be the end of his golden era, and you'd stop caring maybe. But I'll give it to 2010 with the other guys, where I can still consider yep. Will Ferrell. Yeah, I'll see a Will Ferrell movie. I, I don't know if we're sticking with TV or not. I, I do want to put out point on his his uh, role as Ashley Schaefer in Eastbound and Down, which I thought was amazing. I don't know if you watched Eastbound and Down. So he, but he's he, he's in five episodes of it. So he it's there is more. It's not just a one off one character. And he's a, it is a one of his roles that anybody that's seen that are just like wow that's one of Will Ferrell's most bonkers roles. What season was that? Of uh, it should have been the first season. He might have come okay. back in the second one as well. But. So 2009, 2010, still that Correct. era. Yep. Okay, so we're still in that same. Time. We don't have to get in every TV, but I think yeah. that because it was a recurring character, I think worth noting. Okay, and then he did Megamind also in 2010, which I believe was a pretty big hit. Yep. And then, although not big enough to ever get a sequel, as I recall, it was not that big. So then we get to an interesting movie in 2012 that I liked, but I believe was a bomb and not all that well loved. The Campaign in 2012 with Zach Galifianakis. I enjoyed it too. And I thought that when I saw it, I was like, oh, this is an interesting comedic pairing that I think they could 
do a you know it has mm-hmm. a farley spade or a yeah. you know they play they're, they're enough enough different that they could play off each other as like the straight man and the wild man which is kind of a fun turn on it that galifianakos would be that kind of he could do either one which yes. is kind of fun i think they could have played with that dynamic but i think the the fact that this movie didn't do well is why they didn't explore that again. I, I also don't think that they of all the choices they could have made to do a movie together it's an odd choice to start with yeah. it, it gives yep. me vibes of the movie Neighbors with Belushi and Aykroyd, where they kind of flip-flop the roles you think they would play necessarily, and it just doesn't really work. Mm-hmm. Did you ever see that one? It's a hell of a film. It's really not good. No, I, I, when you said Neighbors, I thought I immediately thought the Seth Rogen movie, but I, I didn't. I don't know if they've seen the other one. There is a movie called Neighbors with Dan Aykroyd and John Belushi from 1981. And remember, Belushi died in 82, where they flip the usual script, Mm -hmm. where Belushi is the straight-laced, neurotic, normal one, and Aykroyd's the obnoxious neighbor. And it's not Hmm. good. Okay. (laughs) So then he has, then he, his next movie is uncredited in the internship. We've talked about that with the Vince Vaughn one. Don't care. Then he has Anchorman 2, which was not good, unfortunately. I, there's moments yet overindulgent is the best way I can think to say no way too long too much crap in there yeah that's I mean I've always heard about Apatow like overshoots so much and there's tons of different stuff and, and in this instance I don't know maybe because some of the deleted scenes from Anchorman came made like came out on YouTube and people were watching that and they were like oh this is great so they thought we'll just put everything in this movie and it does not work then he has the Lego movie which I can't credit him for the Lego movie. The Lego movie, he's great in the Lego movie. I like his role in the Lego movie. Yep. But to give him credit for the Lego movie, I just can't do it. I, it's too far removed for me for, for that. Then he moves on to Get Hard with Kevin Hart, which I never saw. Likewise. Did not see it. I'm going to look up Box Office by the Numbers and see how that one did. Get Hard did really well. Get Hard did really well. Okay. So I that kills my theory that Will Ferrell hadn't done anything good since 2010 or anything noteworthy uh, that had performed. I mean, is that Will Ferrell though, or is that Kevin Hart? I mean, we're in the midst of that Kevin is, Hart blowing up. That or, was or, when Kevin Hart was getting fucking huge. You're right. That movie did really well and does poke a hole in my theory. So did I just ruin <laughs> this entire episode? Oh well. Yes, but then the real concept wasn't when the last time he had it was the concept was when's the last time he made something you cared about was my question. Mm-hmm. So we didn't see that one. Then he went to the two daddy's home movies, Zoolander 2. He was in the house with Tina Fey where they turned their home into a casino. Then he was in a notorious box office bomb called Holmes and Watson, which just mm. was a terrible flop, if you recall. He did the second Lego movie. He did, and then we're getting to stuff I've never heard of. Zeroville, Downhill, David, Spirited, and strays. Oh, and he was the CEO in the Barbie movie, which I didn't know. And I thought, is he just doing his character from the Lego movie? I remember thinking, is he just doing his character? Is he doing president business from the Lego movie? Spirited was okay. It was, I think one of the streaming services came out during the holidays was a weird take on Christmas Carol. Ryan, Ryan Reynolds was in it. It's kind of musical. There, there are parts of it that were interesting, parts of it that didn't work. So it was overall just kind of eh. So now that we've covered through Will Ferrell's acting credits from old school till today, and I feel like we're glossing over a lot in the later era because maybe we haven't seen as much or we just don't care as much. When is the last time you cared about Will Ferrell? 
And if you still care about Will Ferrell, tell me because I have an answer, but you give me your answer. Yeah, I think it's probably twelve. It's probably the campaign. I'm I it, beyond, and you were watching Eastbound. Kind of it, right, yeah. So there was that. Otherwise, if it wasn't for those two, I would say it was probably after Step Brothers. But uh, those two continued to keep me interested because uh, his appearance in Eastbound and Down wasn't that far after Step Brothers. So it was like, okay, my interest in Will Ferrell is still kind of there. And then and I think from there on, it's kind of like, oh, I'm interested or delighted to see him because he was great as president of business in Lego movie. So by 2014, oh, yes. great, cool, he's in this movie. But uh, not something that I'm like, all right, I have to go see something else with him. I'm just more delighted to see him in something. You are so correct because I've still enjoyed having him show up in things. He shows up in Lego movie. He shows up talking TV and drunk history or SNL. He can still be very funny. I like him in a cameo show up. You can still be funny role. But yes, I'm going to say 2010, a solid 14 years ago is the last time I cared about Will Ferrell leading a movie. Yep, there we go. So that's a solid answer. We're both kind of in that same ballpark. Agreed. I looked up Joe Pesci. Yeah. And this one is fascinating. Isn't me. it? I assume you did your research I on did. this I did. That's already. It's kind of what made me present it to you because I, I thought, wow, this is surprising, I think. Okay, so it's 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 kind of a banger after banger after banger with one terrible movie, and then he just stops, and then he makes a good movie, and then he stops again. Yep. I think I still care about Joe Pesci is my quick, short answer. I think if Joe Pesci came out in a movie right now where it's like with a good director or a, a pedigree that you can tell, oh, this is probably okay— I'm going to care about seeing Joe Pesci in this movie. It's interesting. Because if we we if we look through his career, you've got we're going to go from the big movies. You got your Scorsese's, right? You go yep. Raging Bull. Yep. And then kind of in the 80s he hits a lot of stuff I don't know and don't care about. Yep. Like he goes Raging Bull, and didn't he get the Oscar for Raging Bull? Uh, I thought he got it for did he get nominated Just, and lose? Maybe for he got nominated. I thought he only won it for Goodfellas, but okay. Well, we're gonna look that up right now before we continue, because now I want to know. <laughs> Raging Bull nominations and win. He was nominated. He okay, did not win. Gotcha. Okay. Yes. So he was nominated for Raging Bull. Moving forward, I did not see once. I've never seen Once Upon a Time in America, but I know it's a Sergio Leone movie with De Niro and James Woods when he mattered and Pesci about prohibition era gangsters. And it's one that I really feel like I should see because I bet I would love it, but I have it and I'm a trash. Yeah. <laughs> have you seen it? No, that's no. one I haven't seen either. So I, I'm okay. I didn't get in on Pesci till probably 87, 88 movies. I think so. And it's really fascinating, right? Because you're right. He has a movie where he gets nominated for an Oscar. And then he just makes nothing kind of but trash for yes. all of the rest of the 1980s. Yep. He he just makes some really interesting choices. He's in that Rodney Dangerfield movie, Easy Money, which I believe was a complete and total bomb, which was Dangerfield's movie after Caddyshack, oh, pre-Back wow. to School, that was just a <laughs> fucking nightmare of a film. He was Mr. Big in Michael Jackson's Moonwalker, <laughs> which is just fascinating. I just... I, I... I never watched, but looking at that credit, I was like, maybe I need to. <laughs> he, it's, it's, no. Or maybe not. Okay. <laughs> Where it turns around for him is Lethal Weapon 2, when he gets the Leo role in Lethal, Lethal Weapon 2. 1989. Great, great role. 
Right. Then he does a TV movie and some uncredited stuff. He has one more bomb in Betsy's Wedding with starring writer-director Alan Alda. It right. Alan Alda's writer-director starring project with Molly Ringwald, but post-Breakfast Club, post-like decline Molly Ringwald. Got it. Okay. So it's an interesting era. But listen to this cast for this movie I've never seen, Betsy's Wedding. Alan Alda, Joey Bishop, Molly Ringwald, Madeline Kahn, Catherine O'Hara, Joe Pesci, Ali Sheedy, Burt Young. Wow. Frankie Faison. <laughs> That's the, uh, the guy from Sons of the Lamps. He's the orderly in Sons of the Lamps. Wow. Huh. And I had never heard of this movie until right now. <laughs> well, from here is where it starts. Oh. This is this is the three year run that is you have to hear it to be believed. It's just it's incredible. Can I ask you a favor before we continue? Yeah. Can you let me look up one more thing on Betsy's wedding <laughs> on this box office numbers site? <sighs> I need to see how Betsy's Again, we're wedding about to did. hit on the most incredible three year run probably in cinematic history and uh Let's keep going on Betsy's wedding. Absolutely, you you you, sh you shut your whore mouth. <laughs> I've got Betsy's wedding to look up. It just it's it's overloading. It's not the website's not loading fast enough because it's either confused that I'm looking up Betsy's like, wedding. Did you, you did you really or, mean this movie? It's like you're you're sure you're you're sure. Betsy's wedding. How, what's the production budget? I need to know how much money it made. Like total gross. Betsy's wedding production. Budget. Oh, this movie did. No, this movie's a massive bomb. This movie's a massive <laughs> bomb. I read that backwards. This movie, which has that cast and was Alan Alda's big. Uh, it's 1990, and I'm Alan Alda, and I have goodwill for Mash that ended seven years ago. Yeah. On a budget of 35 million dollars, made 19 million dollars. Oh, whoops. That's that's not great. So anyway, back to Joe Pesci. <laughs> A small, a small indie indie movie is coming next, so it's a fucking Goodfellas. <laughs> My goodness, what what can you say about Goodfellas? That hasn't already been said. It's it lives up to the hype. It's as good. It sometimes is annoying because every douchebag film bro who wants to sound impressive wants to give you a Goodfellas fact, but the problem is, it's perfect. It's a perfect film. It's great. It should have won Best Picture that year. Yep. It didn't, and it's a fucking travesty. Goodfellas is perfect. There's not much else that could be said. It's uh, the, the the very if you want to talk the the very very end when he just gets crazy into coke like some of that's a little bit bloated, but that's nit that's yeah. complete nitpicking. It's it's an incredible. What's funny is it's bloated, but it also at the same time moves too quickly considering how the timeline had right. progressed yeah. in the rest of it. Right? Yep. It's fascinating. I would like to know, because I remembered this. You just said that he goes on one of the most impressive like three-year runs of all time, and that's basically true, because next he has Home Alone. Yeah. And it might have been hyperbole. I, I will say it might have been hyperbole, but you know, it was, no, it was but fun it's sounding not, at the time. Except for, no, but you're right. Except for one weird anomaly we're going to get oh, to yeah, after yeah, Home I Alone. Agree. And I don't, feel like we, I don't feel like we have to cover a lot of Home Alone, because again, it's fucking Home sure. Alone, right? It's Home Alone. What are you going to say? The anomaly, and I remember this movie because... Joe Pesci was a huge deal coming off of Goodfellas and Home Alone, yep. where I remember being excited to see this movie when I was like nine because it <laughs> looked hilarious and it's got the guy from Home Alone in it. And then later on when I was older, I remember thinking, wait, did that come out after Goodfellas? Because that movie was so weird. The movie The Super oh, in yeah. 1991. 
do you I remember watching this movie and I remember hyped for this movie even as a kid because it was the next thing Joe Pesci did after Home Alone where I, clearly clearly he thought well I need to keep this train running and I need to make a comedy right that's that's my gut instinct is that's probably what he said yeah thoughts on the super before I read trivia and other things not, not, not a great movie and uh like I said I, I would not be including this in his <laughs> it's it's more the fact that the volume of, of amazing movies that are in this three-year right. run not necessarily it's, including this as part of it but it is an anomaly where Joe Pesci plays a slumlord sentenced to live in one of his own buildings. And obviously it's a classic Grinch scenario where his heart grows three sizes, everything gets better. I saw this on Comedy Central or something at one point. And the one thing I remember from this movie is that there's a part where he's starting to become friends with all the 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 people that live there right and they are having a a party in one of the rooms and he's like no no i'm not gonna come they're like please please come and then he kind of half wanders down the hallway uh because he hears the music and then they kind of pull him into the party and then there's a dance scene in the party to mc hammers can't touch this and it is basically the same shot of Joe Pesci dancing over and over and over and over. It was clear that they did not shoot that much footage from this scene. And they just kept yeah. replaying the same shot over and over. It's incredible. That's the only thing I really remember about that. Quick addendum to that movie and why this is the anomaly in this era. It had a production budget of $22 million. It only made $11 million. It has a 0% right now on Rotten Tomatoes <laughs> when it pulls all the, you know, archival reviews from the time. Wow. Reviews written since that time still holding at a 0% on Rotten Tomatoes. Iconic. Yeah. Then it's right back, though. He's in JFK. He's in My Cousin Vinny. He's in Lethal Weapon 3. That's insane run of movies. And then he goes from Lethal Weapon 3 to a movie I don't know called The Public Eye. And by his, that yeah, is clearly him really. trying to be yeah. a lead, though, because if you look up the poster, his face is front and center. And this is like clearly a big Joe Pesci project when you look at the movie poster on IMDb. Mm -hmm. So, oh, and it has uh, the guy who played Toby from The West Wing, according to the cast list. So that's nice. Richard Schiff. No, oh, okay. Let's look up. Mm -hmm. What the hell did we just say that movie was? I'm trying to look it up, and I've already forgotten it. The, the Public Eye. The Public Eye had a production budget of $15 million yep. in 1992. This is Joe Pesci apparently accepted this role right after making Goodfellas. Because you have to think, too. Goodfellas came out in 90, and Home Alone came out in 90. Those were not—Home Alone was not— in the wake of Goodfellas, oh, I'm a big star. He was making both of those movies, okay. you know, at the same yeah. time, essentially. Then they came out. You got to think about when they were released versus when they were made. This was Pesci's mm -hmm. pet project, which is really alliterative, and the one he was going to do afterwards. Production budget of $15 million, box office gross yeah. of $3 million. It is a crime filler thrill. <laughs> thrill? It is a crime filler Thriller Crime film. Thriller film. It's a classic. He's a PI, freelance cream. Cream and straight. <laughs> Jesus. I can't talk. You're learning. What happened to me? I've lost all credibility. <laughs> I'm, I'm learning. Thanks, Super Nintendo Chalmers. Okay, we're going to move on. But then I feel like he comes yep. right back around, right? For every bomb he has... 
he comes back with big deal movies, right? He comes back to, listen, whatever you think of Home Alone 2, Home Alone 2 is a favorite to a lot of people and a fucking smash. Then he has a Bronx Tale, which I remember a Bronx Tale being very good and a pretty big deal. Yeah, he's not in it much, but yeah, it's I think I think it's more of almost a cameo-ish type thing, but but it's still it's a great movie. So mm-hmm. then he has with honors where he plays the hobo with Brendan Fraser mm-hmm. and Patrick Dempsey's in that. I am not sure of the reaction to that movie. Was that movie considered a hit? Was that movie well received? What do you think of with honors? I remember it very clearly. The I feel like it was okay, you know, kind of middling ground. What is there? There was a song. That was on that soundtrack. That was the one, the thing that I really remember, oh. and I can't remember what it was. But so it's obviously not that memorable. But <laughs> we are wrong if we liked it, apparently, because the film only grossed four million dollars in its opening weekend. It had a box office gross of twenty million dollars. It was oh no 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 I'm reading that wrong I'm reading that wrong. It did got it got very bad reviews, <laughs> but it did okay money wise. Okay. It was considered cliche. I was reading the opening weekend as if it was all it made. It actually did okay. It topped the box office two weeks in a row. It was doing fine. However, it got very bad reviews. Roger Ebert gave it two stars out of four, called it cliche. Guy from the Washington Post said it was the ninth worst film of 1994 and his top 10 list for that year. So, gotcha. you can't win over everybody, but it did all the, right. The, the thing that I mostly remember about that movie, and I just looked it up, the, the, there was a Madonna movie called I'll Remember. And it was a, a a pretty big hit, I believe, on the charts. But the music video for that was mostly just cut footage from that movie, and that's why I remember that song. Also, that unfortunately, also that year, and I remember, I never saw this movie, but I remember the trailer because it was the first of those Pesci movies that was going to parody his image, Jimmy Hollywood. Mm. Well, it had a $30 million budget. Oh, my God. It was starring Joe Pesci and Christian Slater. And in 1994, Christian Slater, I think, was still, like, sure. big deal-ish. A failing actor living in crime-infested Los Angeles, frustrated with his career, decides to take the law into his own hands and becomes the leader of a mock vigilante group that videotapes criminals and turns them over to the police. So... That, that did not go well. <laughs> it, it it only made $3 million Yikes. on a $30 million So this continues the thing, though, right? Every time Joe Pesci goes on a run and makes a movie people like and talk about and makes money, he turns around and just makes one of the biggest bombs you can remember. When he hits, he hits, but when he does not. Yeah, when Joe Pesci hits, he hits, right? I, I'm curious, how do you do ratios in math? I got to look that up. How do I divide a ratio? How do I find a percentage? The I don't know math. Numerator over the denominator? Is that, is that what you're asking? Yes. But here's the thing, right? After he made Jimmy Hollywood, he did with honors, which we, again, the bad reviews, but it's a serious movie that yep. made money. Then he did Casino right after that. Yeah. And he's great and in it. He's great in Casino. He's loved in Casino. Casino made bank. I realize there are some people who think Casino is a pale imitation of Goodfellas, and I disagree. They see the cast, they see the pedigree, they see the director. Yes, it's a crime movie, but it's such a different type of movie. Absolutely. It's such a different style of movie. Anyone that I think is just going, oh, isn't that just lame Goodfellas? And I've heard that from people. I I think you're ignorant and you're not watching it and taking the time to really appreciate it. Sure. I would agree. But then, 
But then, Randall. Oh, boy. He goes from Casino. You know the next two movies. I do. You have it. Got it in front of me. You've read it. (laughs) I want, you know what? I want to take a pause. I want to take a breath. (sighs) And I want you to talk to me about the Joe Pesci and David Spade starring film, Eight Heads in a Duffel Bag. Uh... I remember thinking, is this really a movie? <laughs> uh, I don't think I ever saw it. Uh, it's it, it's something of a he he still plays the hitman, right? We're still trying to lean into the 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 mob uh, comedic aspect of it, and it's something that his luggage is switched. I don't know much beyond that, but enlighten me if you know more about it. Randy, I've seen this movie at least twenty times. Oh my, that's not a joke. It's not a good movie, and I don't really like it. But there was a point when my family got cable, right in the mid nineties. Okay. And I grew up. I grew up on the poorer side for a while. I was, uh, you know, not to go more life stories, but your classic. I grew up in a trailer park. We eventually got a house, so we didn't have cable for a long time. We got cable, and eight heads in a duffel bag. We got. We didn't just get regular cable. We got HBO at the same Ooh. time. We were really. We were crushing it. This is one of the movies that was on constant rotation on HBO. Okay. <laughs> and it was just always on. And if it wasn't on HBO, it was on HBO 2. Oh. If it wasn't on HBO 2, it was on HBO 3, which was a thing. And I just watched this movie <laughs> all the time. And I never really enjoyed it. I've seen Eight Heads in a Duffel Bag at least 20 times. Wow. <laughs> And the plot, you are not wrong, is Joe Pesci is a hitman, and the person paying him wants proof of these deaths. He kills these people. He has the heads in duffel bags, eight heads in a duffel bag. And then he loses his luggage. And his luggage is swapped with someone else's identical-looking duffel bag, and he has to track the duffel bag, and it's all the people he meets along the way. And David Spade is one of those goofy characters working at a hotel resort that he meets along the way that gets caught up in his shenanigans. So. I'm not sure if I missed out on much, but uh, if it's on HBO, t- if it's on HBO two, I'll check it out. Or if it- I wonder if it's on Max. Don't, don't, so. <laughs> don't you slander it. Yeah, does HBO two still exist in regular cable? Is that a thing anymore? Uh, yeah, does regular cable still exist? Also, George Hamilton is in it. And are you going to shit on George Hamilton? You should. He's made a lot of bad movies. George Hamilton. If you're in a George Hamilton so, movie in 1997, you're probably making the mistake. That's, so, were they on? Uh, just shoot me at the same time, then? I'm doing two bits of research right now. <laughs> we did just shoot me, Stick. Just shoot me. Okay. This movie with David Spade came out in... Oh, God bless it. I have too many tabs open. This movie came out in the U.S. in April 1997 with Joe Pesci and David Spade. Mm-hmm. Just Shoot Me started airing in March 1997. Oh. Chris Farley didn't die until December 1997. So there was one, like, eight-month period where David Spade could have still made another Chris Farley movie, had already started making Just Shoot Me, and had just had to live through making Eight Heads in a Duffel Bag. <laughs> what, a, what a weird time frame. Yes. Yes. Moving on. <laughs> 
Right after Eight Heads in a Duffel Bag is Gone Fishing, which is Joe Pesci and Danny Glover in like a slapstick kids movie, but it's not a kids movie. Okay. About two fishing pals. Did you see Gone Fishing? I did not. No. Randy, you wanted to do this IMDb. My God. <laughs> Have you not seen these terrible movies? I, I, I front-loaded it, I guess. I'd say. I, I tapped out after. Listen up. Listen up, pal. If you want to take the good Joe, if you want Joe Pesci at his best, you have to take Joe Pesci at his worst. Uh, you can't love Joe Pesci and Goodfellas and not try to give him the time of day and gone I, fishing. I'm learning this apparently. Where the the box office bomb that cost fifty three million dollars to make in 1997 Oof. and only made nineteen million dollars. So this is, God, God bless the tech boom. Jeez, they just they, just throwing money away left and right in them. In film industry. So, on top of Gone Fishing being a massive box office bomb, and also the movie that made Joe Pesci quit acting after... No, I'm sorry. Yes, because he had already shot Lethal Weapon 4. Mm -hmm. And then Lethal Weapon 4 came out the next year. Joe Pesci made Gone Fishing, then he made Lethal Weapon 4. Lethal Weapon 4 comes out, and it does well, right? But Gone Fishing comes out, and is just a massive disaster. In 1997, Joe Pesci does not act again until The Good Shepherd in 2006, which, as you recall, I believe is just a cameo role. Yep. And he does that cameo, and he does that movie, and he only does that because De Niro directs that movie. Right. That's a favor to De Niro. He does not act again until The Irishman in 2019. Wow. <laughs> Gone fishing with such a bad movie <laughs> and such a bomb... And you have to remember, coupled with the other times he tried to make his own movie, every time he tried to lead his own film, it was not just a failure, it was a notorious failure. Mm. Every one of his own movies lost astronomical amounts of money. And yet, every time he would come back and make a movie, because think about that, he stopped acting, and then he made The Irishman. And whatever you think of the Irishman, the Irishman is very good. Mm. He is very good in the Irishman. Yes, I I don't like the Irishman. I would go with the second part of that, but I liked it. You didn't like it? It's really long. It's, it's... It is long. <laughs> long doesn't mean bad. It can I be, liked though. it. It's, I liked it a lot. It's, I enjoyed it. Well, maybe not enjoyed it. I it was a fine movie for me. I thought the performances were really good. Okay. Okay, fair enough. So so and this comes down to a separate conversation that I feel like we could have. And this, I don't want to pivot to this conversation. Table this for another week, but keep this in the back of your mind. Is this the conversation that leads to a movie can get nominated for three different Academy Awards, but not three other Academy Awards? It can be a Best Picture, but it can't be a Best Director, a Best Supporting Actor, a Best Actress. You get what I mean? Like mm -hmm. that, is that how that can happen? Because sometimes you have to be able to look at the piece of a film. Mm. But that's that's another conversation for another time. Sure. There's one other thing I would like to talk about that I think could have driven Joe Pesci away. And this is going to come into copyright issues, possibly for us. But I don't care. I don't care. I hope this is what because I think you it know, is. So. I don't want you to say it yet. I don't want you to say it yet. Because I got to bring it up. We're going to let it ride. We're going to let it ride. We're going to let it. We're going to let it ride. You heard a little snip. Do you know what I was going to go for? Uh, well, I already, knowing his background, I'm just guessing this is what it is. But 
tell me right now before I do anything else. It's his album, right? Like it's something from his. Yeah, uh, his. <laughs> Apparently, too, this in the eighties, like wasn't his his thing too, right? I can't hear you. Sorry, what, what's up? <laughs> I think I think not only I think there were multiple time frames of his albums, right? Uh yeah, I think he did an album that was like swing music and like big band stuff or like crooner. Yeah. And then this no, this is his rap yeah. album. This was the Joe Pesci rap album. And then that's it. That's it. Joe Pesci in nineteen ninety eight did in like ninety seven to ninety eight did Gone Fishing, Lethal Weapon Four, a rap album, and then he didn't do anything for twenty years. Uh, things to aspire with to. With that, <laughs> and with that, to dial it back to the original conversation topic, I still care about Joe Pesci, and if Joe Pesci put out something right now, I'd be interested in seeing what it is. I'm in. Yeah, him and him and Drake can collab or something like that. <laughs> oh, you're saying you want a rap album? <laughs> I, you know, I want a follow I, I up. I don't want movie, I'm sure. just a rap album. Well, you know. All right. Well, let's, let's look at. Well, now we had one more actor to look through, but let's look up instead Joe Pesci discography. <laughs> he has put out three albums. I can't this is a thing. Joe Pesci discography. <laughs> you. He put out Little Joe Sure Can't. Oh, that was in 1968. Oh yeah, you did. That's what I thought you were I referring to. Okay. You were thought I was talking about his album from the 60s yeah. when I was bringing up his album. Yeah. No, I'm talking about his rap no, album. No, no, I knew that's what you were doing once you played it. Always. But... <laughs> Always. Did you know, but when I brought up his album, you thought I was going to go for his childhood singing career. I did, yeah, which the crooner I didn't know thing. I didn't, I, didn't, I, didn't, I didn't know about the rap thing. That's why I was speechless. <laughs> oh, my God, that's amazing. I'm so happy right now that I was able to introduce you to Joe Pesci rapping. I have different words. But, I, you know. feel, I feel so... I feel like we can play this because what's he gonna do? Again, He's gone for another twenty again, years. Again, audio, audio medium, out. but boy, the visual of watching Mike get down to this is just. Uh... I'm blind. I, I'm not separating our tracks. I'm just yeah, and I'm yelling because I have headphones on. I don't care. Where were we? That was amazing. Also, I'm just realizing, is any of that you're hearing it when I play it, right? Nope. You're I'm not. Completely, I'm completely faking it for you. Wait, you were hearing it. No. I can't tell if you're fucking with me or not. I'm not fucking. I, I'm zero not fucking with you. I was just going along with it to make it like sound <sighs> rational. No, we're going to play it for you for real. <laughs> we're going to play it for you for real right now. I got to okay. take my headphones off. I got to take okay. my headphones off so you can hear I was, this. Uh, okay. We're keeping this part in too. And then I'm going <laughs> to find out that you were faking it for me, you fuck. Hang uh, on. We're going back. I'm keeping my headphones off. I don't talk. I got to. Give me a second. We got to make sure that we can we can hear you hear this, and then maybe we'll dial back. I don't know. I wish you told me you couldn't hear it, and now you're a liar. I can't. Well, let me. Oh, there we go. Share. Can you see it? Nah. Can you hear it? I can. Oh boy. It's a bitch that it gets. Oh, he keeps saying it.
fighting and stealing don't get without feeling. So I went in casino before they start dealing. All about respect and intellect. Only mess with the women that pick up the check. You heard that, right? I did. Now what do you got to say? I I I, I think I'm gonna have to deep dive into this because this is wow. I finally won you up. I got it. Okay, now we're gonna play the other one real quick. All right. Uh, I gotta. I got. You're so good. Forever. Oh, look out! Every time I get the urge to visit my hometown. I'm sure that all my cousins got like a, um, try to track me down. Senor Burns from my Simpsons. Oh my god, yes! That's what I could place you right. Way. But if I appear, I'm sure to hear all those jerk-offs say, Hey, Cousin Vinny! Yo, Cousin Vinny! Is there anything that you could do for So this is the album? Hey, Cousin Vinny! Thanks for Thanks for you. Yes. He all right. Apparently, yes. I could not continue without you actually getting that. I uh, to find out you were lying to me, <laughs> you son of a bitch. You were enjoying it so much. I didn't want to ruin the. You know what? That's actually really sweet and really nice. But also, <laughs> no, no, just go. Just so wait. You were just seeing me smile and sing to nothing you could hear. Yeah. <laughs> cool. Cool. I'm a diplomat. I don't like to, uh, you know. So ruffle the feathers. <laughs> <laughs> I can't, I want to be angry at you, but I can't because it's so nice. It's, it's so, of, yeah. final final verdict for me, it was I would see a Joe Pesci thing again. What was your final verdict? Yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah, I think I'd still be interested in, in something. I think it's enough of a draw for me to be curious to see what would be going on in that movie. Wait, either so, from either side, because it could be a giant bomb or it could be really, really great. Right? So my last one, I don't know if I actually wanted to deep dive in because remember I had originally said that I feel like Nicolas Cage is too much to handle, right? Yeah. For a for uh for deep this in topic right now. Jeff Goldblum feels like too big of a topic right now to actually handle it. Because should we, should we pass it on? Should it be in a future one? I just wonder if we're I think it could we got other I, things to cover. But what I want from to get from you right now, because yes, we absolutely have other things to cover and we're running out of time. What do you think about Jeff Goldblum now, and what did you think of Jeff Goldblum throughout the years? Quick summary. Do you? I guess my thought is, do you still take him seriously, or has that escaped you? I would be very surprised to see him in a sort of serious role. I think he's good in the, the quirky obby. The Grandmaster was a just stroke of casting genius, I think, because that's perfect for what he is now. Um, but I would be very surprised, and maybe he could prove me wrong, that I... I I haven't seen him in much where I believed him as a completely dramatic component. There was always kind of that quirky aspect of it, but, uh, but I mean, unless you're going like way far back, but, um, I, so I, I think that seeing I would, if I saw him in something, I would anticipate it to be the same kind of Jeff Goldblum character that we've known to understand. Fair enough. I think he falls into the reason I was so fascinated by his career, because I really do feel like, He's one of those people that has become a parody of himself. Mm. The difference between him and many other people is he doesn't seem to mind it. <laughs> you know, yeah. he's like, yeah, let's Leans into it. Yeah. Which is what really is fascinating to me about the career. And it's something worth talking about another time, simply because that Joe Pesci one went way longer and deeper than I thought it was going to go. 
So, well, uh, oh, but the nuggets really, of gold we got out of it. So it's, it was really fascinating to me just logistically between, you know, I don't know if I keep this in or not between you guys. I thought the Will Ferrell one would give us more to talk about and it didn't. And I thought the Pesci one would be quick down and dirty and it wasn't. So yeah. <laughs> it's funny how things can go. Indeed. But let's pivot. It's been two weeks because of our last episode. And then last week we tried something new and different. It's been two weeks since we went to Cool Guy Randy's Cool Guy Music Corner. He's so cool. Talking about the cool guy music that he tells me about. Mm -hmm. that maybe I don't know or maybe I do because he loves music. It's cool guy, cool guy music. <laughs> Randy, what do you got for us this week? What album are we talking about? So, and it's interesting that we went into a lot of mid-90s kind of segues and, and talked about things that were undeniably from the mid to late 90s because I've picked a album from the mid to late 90s uh, and while the last few of my selections have been just one specific band I chose a movie soundtrack this at this point and because it was it, one that I always listened to at that time frame it was just that it was a CD that I had always listened to in my car or listened to wherever I was out uh, because of the a diversity kind of music that are that's on there i have music add sometimes yeah. where it's i need to flip around i'll hit skip shuffle and it just i'll go through 15 different first four notes of a song before i track on something i like so sometimes i need to listen to a bunch of different things this interestingly enough <laughs> this album does that where it has a lot of different type of songs but it is undeniably from 1997 it is the lifeless ordinary soundtrack uh, if you don't know lifeless ordinary <laughs> no. It is a Danny Boyle movie from 1997, starred Ewan McGregor and Cameron Diaz. The also Holly Hunter and Delroy Lindo are the two two of the other main characters. It involves two angels that are trying to make two people fall in love. That is that is the idea. It is it, it, it weirdly enough, and this is kind of a side side to the whole thing. It, it Filmmakers seem to love angels in this five-year period, this 1995 to 2000 period, where they always seem to be, there were storylines around angels across the board, whether it was Michael in 96, City of Angels in 98, Dogma in 99, Meet Joe Black was also in 99. Like, there, there this seemed to be yeah. a storyline that they always went around to. And I'm not talking too much about the movie because I want to get more into the album, but just that's a little bit of backstory. You're absolutely right. That's very odd. And I've seen all of those other movies, which is weird to, that I've never <laughs> even heard of this one. The movie itself the movie itself has a great cast. It, I wouldn't call it a great movie. It is it is very atypical kind of... It Danny Boyle has his mark on very much all, all of his movies, and it, it very much looks like his kind of movies. Before, um, before I keep going, are you able to... Never mind. Wow. I looked it up myself. That's insane. I was going to ask, where did this come... For, uh, regarding train spotting and this is the movie he made after train spotting yep correct and and according to the internet which again always true he turned yep. down making alien resurrection to make this movie so good job danny boyle so, yeah he's... yeah <laughs> i again and i honestly the the the, the weird thing is i pro i had this album way before i saw the movie i don't think i saw the movie until about 10 years after it came out just as a, a, on a whim and a curiosity was the movie? Did you like the movie before we go to the soundtrack? Did you enjoy the movie? It's not bad. Yeah. Okay. It's uh, not amazing, but it's it's watchable. Yeah. All right. And a uh, quick thing compared to all the other Pesci movies we talked about, while it is technically unsuccessful, it did make a profit. So you know, <laughs> suck on that, Joe Pesci. So it Please did that. Continue. All right. It, it's yeah. Good for it. So 
And it, what makes this undeniably, I'm going to read some of the artists before I get into some of the songs, just to tell you how 1997 this was. So it goes Beck, Luscious Jackson, Ash, Folk Implosion, R.E.M., The Cardigans, uh, A3, which is Alabama 3, also known as, they they became the band that did uh, the Sopranos theme, Woke Up This Morning, but this was oh. uh, one of the songs they did before that. So that they, they got really well known for that but it is that mm. when you hear that song you're like okay cool i know that voice distinctively as i woke up this morning so right there i mean if that a lot of that yes. screams very much 90s alternative yes. rock um and it, it really got it's it it did an interesting thing where it started off with the lead single was the one that you would know if you listen to any of the the songs on this album there's a song called dead weight by beck it has kind of a dreamy almost like loungy vibe to it and this was not because at the time this is coming off of Odele it wasn't that far away so Beck was huge at this time I just he was everything in the music anything he tried for the music community loved and so he to put a Beck song as the lead single on this soundtrack was it was a big deal this got a lot of radio play it was only on this album that was the thing too it didn't i must say there may have been a beck best of hits that came out later that i don't know about but this was not on any of his actual albums it was on this specifically done for for this album and uh it's it's a great song fun great starting off song uh this whole album has very much a a, a driving i feel like it's a road trip album you can put it in while you're while you're driving along and a lot of the music even though it's a little bit different from song to song lends itself very much to your cruising along. Because I know the Beck song, right? Mm-hmm. And I like it a yep. lot because I, I like those early Beck albums. But of all of his albums, I think Mutations gets overlooked mm-hmm. because you have Odelay, which is Odelay. Yep. And then Midnight Vultures sounds more like Odelay, right? Yep. Mutations sits in the middle, not sounding like what you think a Beck song should sound sure. like necessarily. However, that song Dead Weight sounds like it could belong on Mutations. Right. And I... Love Mutations. Mutations is one of my all-time favorite albums. I like it better than anything else Beck has ever done. <laughs> so I'm a fan of that song. It's, anyway, please continue. So it's a it's a great start to it. The the Luscious Jackson song, and it's it for those who may or may not know Luscious Jackson, uh, just a an all girl band in the mid to late '90s. Interestingly enough, Kate, their drummer. Uh, was the original drummer for the Beastie Boys when they were a hardcore band in the early '80s before they turned to hip hop, which is an interesting kind of dynamic. Fun trivia. I did not know that. How and that? Uh, keep an ear out for Beastie Boys, as it may be something that comes in the upcoming weeks. One of my favorite, one of my favorite <laughs> bands of all time. So, or rap groups, whatever you want to call them. So, so but th- this has an e- the Luscious Jackson song, which is called "Love Is Here," has a, a, a earworm baseline. The the baseline comes in, and you're just you're automatically. And there's a lot of songs where it's either toe tapping or head bobbing. It, it just has that vibe to it, <laughs> where it's very easy to listen to because you're just kind of jiving along with it. You don't have to. This is not complicated music, which is great. It's just it's very easygoing, chill music. Uh, the that the Ash song that follows it, and Ash is a uh, British band. No, no, I'm sorry, Northern Ireland. Um, and also, do you know Ash at all? Have you ever heard of them? I don't. Okay. So and they looking up, they made that title they track. They did, and it is. If you it? heard it, I would be curious to see if you had heard it before because it it, it is one of those that has a kind of like oh i didn't know that's what this song was but maybe not i do not know this song i'm listening to it right now gotcha 
then now we know I can listen to a song without you hearing yeah, right. it based on your Joe Pesci lies. So you can, <laughs> well, you could do the same thing that I, I mean, you could just nod along and fake it like I was. So, but Oh, yeah. No, Randy, this is great. I love it. Yeah. Oh, uh, no, I did not know that song. Let's... Uh, and then continuing to go on there, it's a Folk Implosion, which I only ever knew. There was an MTV Buzzbin album that I had that had this song called Natural One, which was Folk Implosion. If I, I may be hitting everything 1995 for anyone that's listening, but <laughs> they, I didn't know them much for... They, they did a lot of kind of drum machine. It, it was very much a, a, a mid-90s alternative sound. I know this song. I'm listening to it. Okay. I know this song. Yeah. The, so natural one wasn't the song that was on the album, but it, the folk implosion oh. was the band. So they were only oh, only yeah. really known for natural one. That's why I was surprised to hear them on there because I was like I didn't know anything other than natural one. Uh, I got you. I got you. The REM song is kind of kind of interesting because it's really sleepy for the first. It's a long song. It's about six or seven minutes, but the first minute of it, it it's called Leave, and it's really sleepy. Kind of just very chill not not orchestral like some of their other stuff and then the guitar kicks in and it's just another great driving song just really gets moving i really enjoy it because it it shifts gears so i guess a driving song there you go look at all my metaphors but (laughs) no i like i like a good rem song that i don't know very well a couple other bands i hadn't really heard of i I usually sort of I, i keep i'll listen to it song by faithless which is is kind of whatever but the, the cardigan song is really good cardigan's known for love fool that was their giant hit i fucking love that song and i feel like i got made fun of for how much i love that song really okay it's it's they also had a, another fairly popular song called my favorite mistake which uh, uh i don't know if you ever wait no that was cheryl that crow right? song wasn't it that's cheryl crow it's something my my it's my favorite something i'm blanking on it yeah my favorite mistake well, is cheryl crow Cool guy. No, I'm, I'm losing blanking cool on. Guy. I know. Losing my, my favorite game, according to the game. game. All right. So yes, <laughs> the video is kind of crazy for that uh, song. If you ever wanted, it's two cars that are just trying driving headfast at one another. So I do. I think I might also just remember Love Fool because, like any red-blooded straight male in 1998, I thought, oh, she's she's really cute, the blonde girl. Also in the office, that was at at the when Jim goes to Scranton. He sits there and starts singing, "Love me, love me, do annoy Rashid Jones." Oh, that's Jones. right. I don't yeah. know if you remember that. Same. Yeah. So it's that. That's the other part that I always think All about right. when I think of of Loveful. Um, so it, then, as it keeps going, I mentioned the the A three or Alabama three. It's interesting, depending on where you are. They're they're a British band, but uh, it, they're called Alabama three in the UK and internationally. But they changed it to A three here because they were worried about it being confused with the band Alabama, which. Uh, if you listen to that, the two of them, I don't know how you would ever do that, but fair enough. Well, I, I get what you're saying, though, because Alabama, the country band, for you know, while maybe not our style, yeah, is true. fucking huge for a so lot of people. Somebody tunes so in, I they think this that, is yeah. uh, this is very strange and different. In the midst of those songs, they throw in an Elvis song, Always on My Mind, which it may be a Willie Nelson song, actually, but it's what it's Elvis's version of it, which is really good. And uh, Bobby Darren's Beyond the Sea, which is just a fun crooner, old school song. So you go back a little bit, you know, you have a little bit of these older songs and they and they tag it off with Squirrel Nut Zippers put a lid on it, which is kind of cool because it is a modern band that is trying to sound like an old timey band. And so Squirrel Nut Zippers just completely tying into and again in our last episode, we talked about Big Bad Voodoo Daddy and the resurgence of swing and everything like that. Uh, And Squirrel Nut Zippers wasn't 100 percent in the same vein as 
Big Bad Voodoo Daddy and Cherry Papa Daddies and all those all those uh, bands, but uh, still had that same older sounding music that was still uh, I really enjoy. I was like I remember uh, put a lid on it and scrolling the zippers very clearly. And the aside on the Bobby Darren, I've always said that to many people in my life. I may have even said it to you. You always have your dream career if you take time and talent out of it. What could you do if, like, you don't have the time? Like, if you could just set all that aside and you could do a thing, mine would be lounge singer. You schmooze with the crowd. (laughs) You have a drink. You sing a few songs. You tell a few jokes. And at one point, I had put together, like, my ideal playlist of, like, what I do for my set. I have that list still if we ever want to break it down. But Beyond the yeah. Sea makes my set of what I would do as a lounge singer. Nice. No, this it's is a, really, yeah. I mean, it's it's a good one. I just This is a really fascinating a fun one. And, I'm going to give the album a listen before next week. It's like we yeah. do for these. But it looks really fascinating to me. And it also makes me like, I feel like I have to watch the movie almost on principle to do that. But I probably It's worth checking it out. Yeah. It. It does no well because you can you can I think it works as a standalone listen like it, it's an enjoyable enough album to listen all the way through, but given the context of where it is in the movie and other things like that, it's it's well placed as well. I think that is another Danny Boyle hallmark is his uh, weaving in music into his and really good music into his films. Yeah, that's fair. No, that makes sense. Yeah, he's always very good with that. Uh, thinking about the movies that he's made, while I don't always. He's not someone I think of right away, you know, like, oh, a Danny Boyle movie. But you look at the content and the the hit to whatever ratio, just like, man, he's really damn yeah. good. He just puts out good quality films. Sure. Any other thoughts on the album before we uh, pivot? No, that's it's uh, I wanted to, like I said, as you said, well, pivots the word <laughs> I wanted to do a little bit different uh, of an album just yeah. because. But it was one that. Came to my fore. I, I think I must have heard one of the songs on uh, as I was flipping through mm-hmm. Spotify or whatever it was, and and it made me revisit that album because it was a big part of that time frame we talk about getting kind of transported of back to. Even though those, I mean, we see some of those songs are old, but then the reality is even the new songs are what twenty five years old at this point. So right, that yeah, wow, no, that's a really quality soundtrack with a really interesting mix of that era, and I'll definitely give it a listen before the next time mm-hmm. we do a full episode. So we are getting back. Also, we brought back Cool Guy Rainey's Cool Guy Music. We are getting back to talking about The Simpsons because it's been a couple of weeks and we're we're fainting. We're we're scratching. We're 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 breathing heavy. We got to talk about The Simpsons. And as we'd mentioned, we've both been pretty busy. So it came down to what could we talk about that we know already? And I I what what episodes as I was traveling back from a work trip that I already have downloaded on my iPad could I rewatch that I always have with me? And you chose Homer versus the 18th Amendment. And that was just a top flight choice. I will get into also before the summary and other things. Because I've seen this episode so much, I didn't really need to watch it again. I did because I love it. But then, Ted, on top of that, I came home and busted out an archaic technology known as a div to div. A div, div, I've only seen it spelled DVD. And I put that in, and I listened to the creator commentary. Oh, that was a good idea. I wish I'd done that. It was good. Um, but we'll get in. This episode is an all-timer. It was aired on March 16th, 1997. It is episode 18 of season eight. Personally, before we get into anything else, season eight is my favorite season of The Simpsons, full stop. So almost any episode in here, I'm going to defend to the death. But the summary of this episode is, 
After Bart gets drunk at the annual St. Patrick's Day Parade, Springfield enforces a Prohibition-era law, banning all alcohol from being made and sold. As a result, Moe opens a speakeasy, Homer becomes a bootlegger, and a no-nonsense, Elliot Ness-style lawman sets out to stop them. Randy, give me your thoughts on this episode. Oh, what else do you need? Just a just a great story. I just it, they they took uh, the Untouchables theme and ran with it. I I always love when The Simpsons does a little bit side does a little bit sideways. So it wasn't. As I look back at my notes, I wondered, oh, were there certain things from The Untouchables they could have played off even more? But I think I like that they didn't because this that would be a little bit too much of a complete parody. They made it Springfield. They Springfielded it <laughs> um, from the Untouchables, but it, it, it is a is a fun story. There's no B plot here, really. I mean, so which no, is interesting. Is so, and they don't need it. I mean, just be, that lets them really, really get into a lot of the different components because we need to follow a, a bunch of different characters around to see kind of what's going on. We can flesh out what's happening with Wiggum. We can figure even when it, which would be a throwaway, I think, if there was a B plot. And so, it, it's nice to be able to see how this is affecting everybody and how each component is trying to work towards the issue at hand. You're right. There's so much going on here that you know you're getting a full episode. You're getting one of those chalk-to-the-brim episodes. Do you know what the hint is that that's going to be right off the top before I say it? What's your gut instinct? You got one? Is it is it the shorter intro? That's usually... Yes. There's okay. no chalkboard gag. You always get a couch gag. There's no chalkboard gag. They don't have time for the rest of the intro. You get the Simpsons, you get the couch, let's get moving. To your point also, though, about the Untouchables parody and the way the town comes together, the way I love this season is this season, this episode shows them at just the height of their creative powers. This is one of the most insane, reality is gone, we can do whatever we want episodes, and there's no one angry about it online there's no one angry about it at the time there's no one being like what are they doing because the episode is so good and so funny and so tightly plotted that the reality the simpsons used to have is just gone in this episode and nobody cares because it's (laughs) so good Mm -hmm. i think people only care when they break the rules of reality and then it's a bad episode on top of it it's like well why'd you do that Another John Schwartzwelder episode, our second John Schwartzwelder episode. And not when you chose it, I didn't realize it was a Schwartzwelder episode, which I think is going to happen a lot because he's the most iconic writer the show ever had, the most prolific writer the show ever had. He did more to shape a lot of the show after those first couple of seasons than the names that you see as executive producers are on the opening credits. Every he, he built a lot of the work. Before we get to uh, notable lines and favorite lines, anything else you want to hit along the structure of the episode? We can do some trivia afterwards. Uh, sure. It's I thought the music was really good throughout. Really fun, uh, ragtimey kind of those old you know Prohibition era type music that that accompanied a lot of it, which really it it, yes. it was noticeable but not overpowering. It wasn't just there for the sake of it. It felt really good and enjoyable. And I'm always a fan of the fast talking 30s and 40s Dateline, blah, 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 you know, like Springfield. The Beer Baron is. Blah, blah, blah. I I love that kind of talking anyway. It's just amusing to me. So to have that as the narration is great. They they say on the commentary that a lot of the jokes and a lot of the style in this episode, even though he'd been gone for a couple of years, was still like the leftover Conan O'Brien effect. Mm. Because a lot of the Irish jokes and the fast talking and the old timiness, they're like, these are things that like when Conan left, we kept. 
because we yeah. just loved them and they, <laughs> they stayed as part of the DNA. He's like, he brought them and we kept them. So sure. I thought that was really fascinating. A couple of my favorite lines, deliveries and things like that. Things that, we'll start with the things that I still say. Like things we always kind of know with, that's part of my vernacular now. One of mine, my top ones is, I'll join you, which sounds so nondescript, but the line where he's like, go to most for a couple of beers, I'll join you. And the way they <laughs> deliver it kills me. And for some reason, the way Homer has said that stuck with me, where when I'm saying I'll come do something, people don't realize that my agreeing with them has become a Simpsons reference. I'll join you. Oh my God. That's, that's great. I I like that one. I can't do the uh the thing verbatim, but it's just the the, the exchange when they're sitting at the diner. Uh, so it's Rex Banner and the cops are sitting at the diner, which is modeled after the Nighthawks painting. Then Barney walks by and just is like, Hello, Mr. Fishy, or whatever. He punches through and grabs him and then just reels off all of this oh. 30 slang about alcohol. Uh, the hoot, and then, the squeeze. And the Barney, pie. Barney's Barney's confused. Barney's confused is yes. <laughs> <laughs> I love that delivery. Yes. Uh, other little line deliveries. One that I don't say all the time, but is one of my favorite Marge deliveries of all time. I used to be able to go down there. And Homer's got the signs on the basement that say don't go down or no entry. She's walking with the laundry and she looks at the sign. She goes, she doesn't question it. She doesn't get She goes, I used to be able to go down there. Has kills oh, me every time. And it's, I, I wouldn't say it's a favorite of a favorite of mine, but sort of notable that I believe this is the first usage of Helen Lovejoy's Oh, Won't Somebody Think of the Children? Is it? Um, which has a pop culture. I think she uses it I, I, in my head. She yeah. uses it more often throughout yeah. and becomes one of those things that, that's uh, her catchphrases. Uh, it also has picked up in more of a political landscape and to a lesser extent law where Lovejoy's law <laughs> is a term that's used. They, they, it's not put in legal briefs or anything like that, but it is used to describe something where you are putting something in order where you are thinking of the children, which is really interesting that that would permeate <laughs> That's that amazing. much of serious life as opposed to something she's just incredulously screaming it out. So Simpsons did it when it comes to terrible laws. Yep. Simpsons already <laughs> did it, yeah. A couple more random little notes. The This isn't a line delivery, but the scene where they're like, take that badge out of your mouth, where they do the key thing with the cops, like, pull those pants <laughs> up. Send that time take that badge out of your mouth. That's a fun bit, but it always got me because just for that joke, they had to invent a third cop you never see again right. because it's always Wiggum, Eddie, Lou, and those are the only cops in the city ever. But for this one joke, because they needed a third bit, there's a random other guy, and you never see that cop again. Did he just not make it? That poor guy. He washed out of the Springfield police. Yeah, that is funny. I just remember that as being a funny bit just because, like, why would he have his badge in his mouth? But it it, it is a good bit. I The other... The other it's not necessarily a quote, but the, the one that I thought was really funny is at the very end where they're like, the beer baron has been captured. And you hear the whole crowd going, and you hear Lenny go, they captured Homer? Like, yes. And clearly, like, Rex, <laughs> Rex, Rex Bender's the only one that has no idea who it is, but everyone else's. Uh, uh, that little line, just that, I, I've laughed very audibly at that point. The, another one that I quote in my constant everyday life is a Barney line, which is rare because I'm normally not a big Barney fan, but it's you've done a Barney line earlier. Mine is so when the 
bottling ball of prohibition bootleg beer comes into Moe's speakeasy and he picks it up and he pours him the illegal beer and he goes, all right, Barney, that'll be like $732. And Barney goes, $732, this better be the best beer of my life. And then he pour, he, he pour it, he drinks it, and he pauses. You got lucky. <laughs> I say you yeah. got lucky. There That's are great. so many these things that just work in everyday life that no one but me is realizing that I'm quoting something, and it's just problematic because they're normal conversations, yeah. but I'm like, hee, 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 I did it. I did the thing. <laughs> last, uh, last interaction before we get to uh, trivia and other notes. The Oh, two more. Wait. One more Homer line because it's just so good. When the okay. stills are exploding and, and he's trying to cover it up, <laughs> and Marge goes, what was that? Did you hear that? And he goes, oh, sorry, Marge, I've heard it. It must have been that bean I ate. It's the dumbest Singular line. Bean. It's just the way he hits it. Dan Kesslinetta is just an all-star in this episode. But And then finally, the with Rex Banner doing the dramatic stare to the distance, I'll catch you, Beer Baron. And then just off the way they do it, where Homer, it's one of those top reality-breaking jokes. That doesn't work, shouldn't work, should never work. Yeah. Where he's just whispering to himself, I'll catch you, beer baron. And then you just hear in the distance, No, you won't. Yes, I will. <laughs> won't. And that's the act break. They go to commercial on that. <laughs> it's like, Right. How did this episode shouldn't work? Nothing about this should work. And it's yeah. so good. And you have just, I have seen that episode this episode a bunch of times that you have just enlightened me on something I didn't know about. I always thought that Homer was despondent and saying dough, but he said, won't. Okay. Like I never, I, I guess I never looked at the script or anything like that. So I didn't realize, but you have, you have enlightened me on that. that he says, won't, and that makes way more sense than dough. Just one more that the, and it's, and you and I, I've actually texted this back and forth to you before, just out of random stuff is that when Rex Banner comes in when the speakeasy is like trying to be the pet shop or whatever. And he's like, what kind of pet shop is going on at, at 1230 or one o'clock in the morning? And Mo just pauses and goes, uh, <laughs> best damn pet shop in town. <laughs> like just so unconvincingly. <laughs> but it's just. <laughs> yeah. Great. I love that. And I, I don't know if it was just between you and I, but I've definitely thrown out a best damn whatever in that context for things, yes. So part of the reason you had suggested this episode is last week in our breakdown of all-time sketch comedy, we talked about SCTV and how iconic it is and how great it is. And they part of the reason that that worked for this works for that is because Dave Thomas, who plays Rex Banner, was a longtime SCTV cast member. Mm -hmm. He's the Doug in Bob and Doug from the Canadians with Rick Moranis. And he is pitch perfect mm -hmm. as your Elliot Ness parody guy. So they, on the commentary, the first five minutes of the commentary track is gushing about SCTV with Dave Thomas. <laughs> nice. They don't talk about, the. they barely talk about the first act of the episode. <laughs> and it's all, it's all the same things that we were saying last week, hearing these iconic comedy writers say it. And it's like, well, yeah, clearly we got it. Randy and I got it unlocked. Oh, oh yeah. <laughs> but they they're right that they're talking about the reason they wanted him on here is they're talking about how SCTV invented a lot of modern humor concepts about how Matt Groening says the reason he wanted Springfield to be the way it was 
with recurring characters and jokes and gags that just keep coming back is he was stealing that from SCTV mm. where the town and the radio station, all these people just all live together and interact together and they can come and this one character you never see interact with this other character can randomly have a joke together. And yeah. that that's stolen right from Matt Groening's mouth and he wanted that for Springfield. And I just thought, well, that's that's delightful. That's really cool. I had one note on Dave Thomas that so later and I didn't see the exact season, but he voices Bob Hope later in uh, I think it's like season 18 or 19. But later on, okay. because he does a very, very credible, if not credible, very, uh, very good Bob Hope impression. Sounds very like his Bob Hope is very, very good. And he to the fact he's done it on he did it on USO tours and stuff with Bob Hope as kind of a, a joke. Wow. Like, so it was it was very, very well revered kind of in the. You know, Rich Little was always the guy who could do Johnny Carson. Yeah. It was that it's that kind of thing where wow. Bob, Bob makes, approved of it. So that makes his first line of the commentary make a lot more sense to me now. Oh, right. Because the <laughs> first I just thought it was a gag. I didn't know. This makes so much more sense. They bring him on and they're like, We were so glad you did such an Elliot Ness thing. And his literal his first line was, When you called me, I figured you just need me to do my Bob Hope. Yeah. And then he <laughs> says that in the thing. And I was like, that makes so much sense now. They gave it another decade, then they brought him Which, in to do the Bob Hope. Exactly. Yeah. So, well, and there are three different people that have done Bob Hope on on The Simpsons, which is an interesting thing. Ooh. So, like, Hank Azaria did a yeah. just, I'm sure, you know, one of those things where they needed Bob Hope, but they didn't have time to get anybody else. Bob Hope actually did his own voice uh, earlier on uh, <laughs> in The Simpsons, and then Dave Thomas did it, the, the later one. It So, it's just three different what people. What episode did Bob, Bob Hope do? What episode did Bob Hope do himself on in The Simpsons? It had to be classic, classic era because he was dead by the end of the nineties. So 90s, right? they, why? I think uh, you know what? Uh, oh, it was I Lisa should... the Beauty Queen when Lisa's on yep. tour with the pageant because she does a USO show. Yep. There you, there go. you go. There you go. But thanks, Internet. So <laughs> moving on to one other, one other line, but also I felt like because it ties into trivia, the Patriots in jail line aged just. Horribly. Do you know what I'm talking about? <laughs> uh, I know the you, line. Do you, I don't know what, what you were referring think to. About, well, think about life. Well, yeah. Yes. Well, the, well, they're patriots. Marge, those people are patriots. Like who? Like all those people in jail. Uh, that, to me, aged very badly, considering <laughs> our modern climate. And, and, it, and it played into a scene that was cut for the international broadcast. Mm -hmm. it, during the St. Patrick's Day parade in the opening act, the scene, there was a part where John Bull's fish and chips was blown up and credited to an Irish bomb. Right. That obviously was before the the peace between Northern Ireland and the UK when yep. the IRA was actually, you know, bombing and killing people still. Yeah. So mm -hmm. that scene was cut out for the uh, overseas release, which makes sense. All right, so usual shenanigans here, guys. If you like us, give us those five stars. Leave us a review. I don't care what platform you're listening to on. Just give us the positive feedback. Keep keep, keep your negative feedback. If you don't like us, please don't say anything. It hurts us. Not just, like, <laughs> algorithmically or, like, logistically. It, it hurts my feelings personally, and I don't really need that in my life. Uh, I'm too fragile. But give us the five stars. Give us the good reviews. You can find me at Mike Barcode, that's M-I-K-E-B-A-R-C-O-D-E -E, on TikTok, Instagram. You can email MikeBarcode at gmail.com if you want to send something to the show. Otherwise, we're in a pretty good spot. I think we're going to call this an episode next week. We are not doing a full episode. We are doing a mini-sode 
we are just going to talk about a bunch of this or that pop culture topics. We're going to fire them off and get some thoughts and react to them. Because Randy and I, we've talked about our lives a little bit, about travel and television. It's a busy week for us next week. We are both doing a lot of different things. So we are actually, don't tell anyone, guys. Don't tell anyone. We're going to stop recording this episode and record that right now. But you're not going to hear that for two weeks. Whoa. So it's it's crazy. So from when we're recording this, but a little bit of time. And then don't tell anyone, though. Don't tell, don't tell anyone. Be quiet. Okay. No one's up. Anyway, this has been a pleasure. And we'll, we'll see you all later. Take care, everybody. Bye.